0: Good morning. Great to see you. I have a bit of a routine on a Sunday morning before I'm going to speak, and first thing I do is coffee because you know I've got a function, and then I normally try and do a worship song and then pray, and that goes good, and sometimes it doesn't, and then kind of review my message. So um, actually, when I got up this morning, the first thing that was on my mind was Tui, you know the song we sang, and so. It was my kind of worship song this morning, and then it was so—because I didn't know we were going to do it as a church. But isn't that neat when that happens? So cool. I really enjoyed that. So thanks, team. I really appreciate that. I've been uh, doing this speaking thing in front of church since I was 19 years old. So it's been a few years now, and uh, a few years after I kind of got going— one of the things that happens when you do this kind of thing is, you know, speak in front of church and present the Word of God. Is people think if you, if you can do this, then you can kind of do the one-on-one counselling thing. And I'd have to tell you they're not the same gifting, they're not the same skill set. As Penny would say to me, honey, that is not your superpower. So I'm not the one-on-one counselling uh, dude. Uh, but a few years into having done this and people see you up front and think, oh, you must know what you're doing. That's not true either, by the way, but... Uh, someone asked me if I would speak to this person that was contemplating taking their life. And because I was young, had not accumulated a lot of wisdom, and also probably was assuming, well, if I can do this, I can do that one-on-one thing, I said yes. That wasn't a good idea. The, the, uh, now what happens if someone asks me to do that, I say, you know, like I'm not qualified or experienced to be able to talk to someone that has that issue in their lives. But I do know people who are, and I'd be really helped to connect that person with someone that's really good at doing that. But that's after a few years of wisdom. When I was young, I wasn't able to do that. So I said yes to agree to talk to this person. And as the time that I was about to talk to them got closer, (laughs) I got more and more uptight and anxious and nervous and was really concerned. And that's a good thing, because I should have been concerned. And I was... Praying like crazy as you can imagine. Prayer for me looks like like I'm a short, snappy prayer. It's like, oh Lord, I think I'm in deep stuck here, <laughs> I really need some help. And so I was, so I don't remember why, but it was must have been in a devotional or doing something, and I happened to be in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter number four, and this obscure little phrase, like to me, it felt like it jumped off the page of the Bible and kind of like started in neon lights, dancing before my eyes. It was just this, it's just an amazing thing, you know, and it was incredible. And it was this little phrase uh, in Exodus 4, 19, and it was, all the men are dead. And uh, this thing just, which seems crazy, I know you don't think too hard about what I was about to do and that. And this thing kind of, and and um, and I thought, whoa, and then I did a bit more reading, and it was a statement from, God to Moses, and he said to Moses in Midian, Go back into Egypt, for all the men are dead that sought your life. And what I realized when I read around it just a little bit in that moment was that one of the reasons Moses did not want to go back into Egypt when God called him from the burning bush was that last time he was in Egypt, he murdered an Egyptian, the Pharaoh took out a contract on his life, his life was under threat, and one of the reasons that Moses was reluctant to go back into Egypt was because he was afraid that contract would still be out there and, and that people would be seeking his life. And what he realized when God said to that was that God had gone before him and taken care of all the things that were generating that fear and that concern in Moses' life. God had gone before him, removed the obstacles. It was now Moses was now able to go safely back into Egypt, confront the Pharaoh, and take his people, God's people, out of Egypt. And what I realized from that little phrase, all the men are dead, was it was like a, like a, a statement to, personally to me. God saying to me, I know you're anxious, I, I know you're worried, I know you're concerned, but I've gone before you. I've prepared the way. I, I have smoothed the path. This conversation will go okay. Trust me. I'm both before you and with you. And so I went and had this conversation still with fear and, and trembling but it went well when I was able to connect the person who was having some issues, difficulties in their life up with someone that could really help them. Now like I've been doing this since I'm 19 I, I reckon I've probably done, the, done this a thousand times. Most of those messages that i prepared I've long forgotten. But you know, because I'm a speaker I took that little phrase and turned it into a sermon called All the Men Are Dead. <laughs> That's what you do when you do this. I've never forgotten that sermon, that message, and I never will. Isn't it incredible when God reveals Himself to you from His Word like that? When a little obscure, crazy phrase like jumps off the page or the, the uh, screen. <laughs> And dances before your eyes. It's like God is saying, here I am, and this is what I've got for you, and this is how I'm going to help you today. I think that is so incredible when that happens. It's amazing. And that was my experience that day. Psalms 19 tells us that God reveals himself to us in three ways. Firstly, through the creation or the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's what he says. Verse number seven, it says, through his word, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting, restoring, refreshing, renewing the soul. And verse number 12, through our conscience, like, or like our will. He says, how do I know the sins that are hidden in my heart? It says, three ways that God reveals himself to us, through the world, through the word, and through our will or through our conscience. That's how God tells us what he's like and he reveals himself to us. And the series that we're going to do over the next four or so weeks, the Bible is, is all about how God reveals himself to us through his word, through the Bible, through the word of God. How God shows us what he's like through his word. And sometimes sometimes, When you're reading his word, he really jumps up and reveals himself specifically, uh, totally, uh, really distinctly, and really directly to you, like he did to me that day. The Bible is an amazing book, as uh, as we as we heard this morning. You know, 3.9 billion copies of the Bible sold in the last 50 years. The range is somewhere between three and five billion. all time, the Bible, sales of the Bible. Ninety million Bibles are printed every year. That's heaps. Five billion snippets or portions of the Bible are also printed every year in pamphlets and books and, and quotes and five billion. Why is that? Well, well, it's because the Bible reveals to us God and it's inspired and it's alive and it's dynamic and it's real and it, and it, and it speaks to us directly. That's why. But How do we know? How do we, how do we know that the Bible that you have in your hand or on your app today is the same word, the same phrases that the writing is what was originally disclosed to the people that wrote it? How, how do we know? That? How can we have confidence that what we have today is the same as what they had thousands of thousands of years ago when God did the speaking and somebody wrote it down? That's a great question, isn't it? Because having confidence of that is really important to know whether God is accurately revealing himself to us. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do we know? How can we have confidence? How can we be sure that the word we have today, the book we have today, the Bible we have today is the one that originally came from God? So it's a concept, or we'd say it's a doctrine called inspiration. And that's what we're going to look at this morning uh, how the Bible is inspired and how that inspiration has made its way right down through history, 4,000 years or so, and into our hands today. And we're going to mainly do that from a portion of Scripture in 2 Timothy. So if you want to turn to me in your Bibles or your apps, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and we're going to read about this thing called inspiration. God speaking to us and revealing to himself to us through his word. And it goes like this in Second uh, Timothy 3. We're going to read verses 14 to 17. But you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught, the writer says. You know they are true, for you, can, uh, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in, in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And that experience I had that day when I read Exodus chapter number 4 was God equipping me and preparing me for the work I was about to do in his kingdom inspiration, inspiring words from God. Paul wrote in that verse number 16, all scripture is inspired by God. You might have the question, well, what scripture? Seems straightforward, but uh, it's an important question. Well, both the Old Testament and the New Testament are referred to as scripture. For example, in Matthew 21, Jesus refers to uh, Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 7, Psalm 8, and Psalm 118. All in that one chapter, when he refers to them as scripture. In 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul refers to a verse in the Gospel of Luke as Scripture. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. And by the time we got to 2 Timothy, which is kind of where we are today, uh, most of the words of the New Testament had been written and recorded. And the Scripture was mostly complete. So the Scripture as it's described here in, in 2 Timothy is the whole Bible, both the Old and New Testaments. And then he says, all scripture is inspired by God. What does that mean? What does inspired mean? Well, strictly speaking, inspired, the word when you see it there, means to fill or to speak into. An inspiration of the scripture is God, like speaking into something. And in the case of God speaking speaking his word, it's God speaking his words into human authors. And then human authors kind of writing it down. The the original Bible language is uh, is the word Theopneustos, and it literally means God-breathed. In other words, the Bible came straight from the mouth of God into the heads of the Bible authors who wrote God-breathed words down. There's a couple of our scholars, uh, Geisler and Nixon, they say this. The word inspiration means God-breathed, and it refers to the process by which the scriptures or writings were invested with divine authority for doctrine and practice, and they talk about Second Timothy. It is the writings that are said to be inspired. The writers, however, were spirit-moved to record their messages. Hence, when viewed as a total process, inspiration is what occurs when spirit-moved writers record God-breathed writings, inspired by God. Charles Ryrie, another uh, uh, scholar, says this, God's, it's God's overseeing of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error. His revelation to man, in the, without error, his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs or manuscripts or scrolls, which you see. Ryrie says that uh, there are several features of his definition that are worth emphasizing. One, God kind of oversaw but did not dictate the material. God used human authors and their own individual styles. Nevertheless, the product was the original manuscripts recorded without error. One of the things I've um, been doing in the last few years in my own life has been meeting with uh, an, an industrial psychologist. And their job is to help me, particularly at work, kind of stay uh, together, really, keep it together. And so when we catch up, we talk about what's happening at work, what's happening with me, how am I going, what's gone wrong, what's gone right, and we kind of talk it through. And they, and they just kind of help me with that. And um, as we're chatting through and I'm um, you know, describing what's going on and uh, what, what's not gone well or how my thinking's gone a bit astray, They would say things to me that, and because we're talking about my context and what's happening with me, sometimes they would say things and i go, yeah, that's all right. And sometimes they would say things and i am go, man, that is so good. That is so good. And often I would leave the meeting with the psychologist and and as, as soon as I could kind of write down word for word what they said and then... At times, I would go back to the notes I had from my time with the psychologist and, and look at what they said and go, oh, man, that was so good. Like, you know, you're not in control of everything. You, you know, um, you can only influence what you can influence. You can't influence things you can't control. All of those little sayings, which are just really so helpful to me. And inspiration is kind of, I think, a bit like that. It's like God putting those words or into, into the author's head, and they go away and they write them down just as they've been said so that they can pick them up and use them later on. That's kind of how I think about the process of inspiration, inspired by God. The, the Apostle Peter described inspiration, this god thing, in this way. He said, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote for their words are like a light or a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns, and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Peter here says some kind of really important things. The first thing he says is, the apostles were not making it up, or not making stuff up when they told others about Jesus Christ. The apostles heard God the Father himself speak about his Son. They had great confidence or great certainty about what the prophets said and what they recorded. And that none of the prophets, the writers of Scripture, made up what they wrote. It came from God through the Holy Spirit to them. So in other words, inspiration is the Holy Spirit moving with the personality of the writer and guiding every word in such a way that it was error-free and it recorded the actual words of God in Scripture. It comes from God through the human author and is written down without error. How, how does that work, you ask? How, how could that kind of be? Well, Geisler and Nix, again, they say this. A frank and forthright answer is that, and, and one often very reluctantly given by biblical scholars is, we don't know how it happened. Inspiration is a mysterious process by which the divine being moved and worked through the human prophet without destroying their individual personalities and styles to produce divinely authorized writings. The word of God, the breath of God. The Bible talks about this process of inspiration just a little bit uh, throughout its entirety. In 2 2 Samuel 23.2, King David said this, The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are on my tongue. In Exodus, then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions, Exodus 24. God said to Isaiah, now go and write down these words. Write them in a book. They will stand until the end of time as a witness, Isaiah 30. To Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says. God, give them my entire message, include every word, Jeremiah 26. The Apostle Paul said, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom, instead we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths." that's 1 Corinthians 2. Jesus went beyond words when he described it. He said the very letters within the words are inspired by God. In Matthew 5.18, he said this, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus was saying that every letter is important and that everything in the Old Testament in particular will be fulfilled exactly as it was spelt out. So important. Now, this doesn't mean that all parts of the Bible are equally important, but it does mean that they're equally inspired or God-breathed. They're all inspired, they're all beneficial, but not all equally important. Like John 3.16 is important. Romans 8.28 is important. Joshua nine is important, Leanne, isn't it? Now, we don't possess the original Bible manuscripts which the prophets, the apostles, and others wrote, but we do have, relatively speaking, a lot of copies. Think about the works of Plato and Homer and Aristotle, those kind of historic works. They number in the tens, the copies of their works. So you might get seven or eight or nine copies. The Old and New Testaments have thousands, tens of thousands of copies. We don't have the originals, but we have tens of thousands. There's so much evidence for the Bible, so much more than all the other historic writings that are so often kind of pointed out. Why did God not preserve the original manuscripts that the the Bible authors actually wrote? Well, we're not sure why he didn't do that, but probably because we have a habit to worship stuff like that. He probably wanted to remove the originals out of uh, of the temptation of worshiping them and gave us copies. And that raises an important question, because if uh, if the original manuscripts were inspired but aren't available to us, and we don't have them anymore, what about the copies? Are the copies inspired? Because we have to translate from the original manuscripts, Hebrew or Aramaic, Greek, into English, with all the difficulties of you know, finding similar words and similar phrases. Are uh, The translations are the copies of the scriptures we have inspired. Uh, well, we would say that only the original kind of autographs or manuscripts are inspired, but what we have are very accurate, matches in our Bibles, in our, in, our, in our manuscripts, in our copies, with all but the minor details, um, accurate, very accurate. One of the ways we know that was um, through the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1946-1947. They were written about 100 years before Jesus And the Dead Sea Scrolls had copies of all the Old Testament books, all of them, except for Esther. And when they found those scrolls, the earliest copies we had before the Dead Sea Scrolls were from about 900 years after Jesus. So there's this about a 1,000-year gap between what we had and then the Dead Sea Scrolls going backwards. So suddenly we had this opportunity to check out, well, were the, were the manuscripts and the copies that we had in and, and sort of 900 years after Jesus as accurate as the Dead sea, scroll, Dead sea Scrolls, which are only about 100 years after Jesus? How accurate were they? Well, about 95%, 95% accurate. And, they, and all of the differences were in either the spelling of words or the spelling of names. So for almost 1,000 years, the copyists copied exactly, word from word, from manuscript to manuscript to manuscript. It's just amazing. A good copy or a good translation is, for all practical purposes, the inspired Word of God. And given that the primary you know, message of the Bible is kind of doctrinal and that no major doctrine rests on any particular minor detail, then a good translation of the Bible will pick up and capture the overall teaching of the original, So, in this sense, we'd say a translation has sort of virtual inspiration, although actual inspiration is reserved just for those original manuscripts the authors wrote. How can you tell the Bible's inspired? It's a good question, isn't it? How can you tell the Bible's inspired? We're saying it's inspired, we're saying the copies that we've got, the translations that we've got are virtually the inspired Word of God. Well, how do we tell? Well, there's a few things that we think are important today, As we've said before, let's look at sales. The highest-selling non-religious or non-sacred book of all time is Don Quixote, with 500 million copies sold, followed by A Tale of Two Cities at 200 million copies sold. And I'm sure you've read both of those. But the Bible has sales somewhere between 3 and 5 billion. It's amazing. It's a bestseller. Sales. What about followers? Cristiano Ronaldo is the most followed person on the planet across all social media sites. He has 700 million followers. Jesus has 2.5 billion followers. 2.5 versus 700 million. Estimates of the total number of Christians down through time is about 4 billion. That's a lot of people that follow Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 says this, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. In John 1, it says, In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. And God the Father says, follow the Son. How about the wow factor? There are about 2,000 prophecies about the future in the Bible, three quarters of which have been fulfilled. The probability of just eight prophecies about Jesus being fulfilled in his life is one in 100 quadrillion. You can see the number up there. And that's just eight of the 2,000. But three quarters of the 2,000 have already been fulfilled. The mathematical probability of the Bible prophecies have being filled is unbelievable. What about science? The Bible records the earth was round 22 centuries before we discovered it. In Isaiah 40:22, it says God sits above the circle of the earth. It also records the earth is suspended in space 33 centuries before we discovered it was. In Job 26, 7, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. What about unity or connectedness? Uh, Sid Lichty, a, uh, a pastor of Open Door Bible Church, says this. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years by about 40 authors on three continents and two major languages. Their writers included an Egyptian-trained scholar, Moses, a general, Joshua, kings, David and Solomon, a farmer, Amos, a fisherman, Peter, a tax collector, Matthew, and a rabbi, Paul. But amazingly, they present a consistent viewpoint of life and a unified set of facts. What about influence? Above sales and followers and the wow factor and science and connectedness, there's influence. The impact that the Bible has on our lives. And I think that's the greatest support and evidence for the inspiration of the scripture. You read it and it grabs your soul. You read it and it grabs your heart. You read it and it challenges your values. You read it and it changes your thoughts. You read it and it modifies your behavior. Psalms 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting, reviving, restoring, turning around, turning back the soul. Influence. One of the things we would just love over this series that we're doing. It's for you to kind of rediscover the power of the Word of God, the way it can convert, restore, refresh, renew your soul, the way it can, as you read it, jump up out at you and dance before your eyes, because it wants, God wants to talk and reveal himself to you in a very direct way about something that's happening in your life, the Bible. I don't know if you've, on your phone or on your, on your device, got YouVersion. YouVersion is a Bible app. It has 500 million downloads, 500 million. And on YouVersion, every day it has a verse of the day. And as you open that app and look at the verse of the day or read it, it creates a streak for you. And the streak is how many days in a row have you opened up the app and read the verse. Now, yeah, there's a trick to it. You can't just open up the app and then close it again and say, I've, done, oh, I've, got, a, I've got another day in my streak." You actually have to read the verse, right? Because God's watching. <laughs> my best is 642 days in a row. I'm up to 449. I'm almost at 450. But I've done 222 weeks. So I'm getting up there to doing, so that's weeks in the app, almost five years Of weeks in the app. Now it's a bit addictive and it doesn't replace your relationship with God so you've got to be careful not to turn it into an idol and not that I'm close to that. Well one of the things I would encourage you to do if you haven't got YouVersion on your phone, get YouVersion on your phone. It's really simple. Open up the app, look at the verse for the day. There's devotions and all kinds of cool stuff and you can do those but what I would really encourage you to do it's just start to get the word of God into your life every single day, and new vision is a great way to do that. Yeah, and then to look at a streak and go, "Wow, I've had the word of my word of God in my life every day for 450 days." Makes a real difference, and you can have confidence as God's people that the Bible you have today has been faithfully and carefully copied and translated down through centuries and centuries and centuries. To such an extent that, that that phrase, all the men are dead, could jump out of Exodus 4.19 at me and give me the confidence and the assurance that I could go talk to someone about something really serious, knowing that God was both before me and with me. God breathed the Word of God, the Scripture. It's how God reveals himself to us day by week by month by year. And I strongly encourage you towards it. Let's pray as the bad come up. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, we come before you this morning, um, some of us with a bit of a patchy record with your word, probably. Knowing that you know, it isn't always making a presence in our lives day to day. we've seen this morning that we can have real confidence that the Bibles we have today have been faithfully copied and translated and preserved and they are for all intents and purposes your words to us we know that you have desire to reveal yourself to us through your word to speak to us and sometimes to speak to us directly and distinctly about something that is happening and how you know and you're working with us to make it through Lord, help us over the next month or so as a whole community as we work our way through this series to be reminded of how important it is to have you reveal yourself to us every day. Would encourage us, spur us, inspire us, have your spirit work in our lives, leading us back into your word. We know that converts, it refreshes, it renews it restores our souls you love us and that's your intent for us in our lives to reveal yourself, to speak to us, to restore us, to renew us sometimes Lord in a really special way you speak to us directly and we, and we look in for that and we love that so encourage us this morning as we, we sing and we think about how you reveal yourself to us Encourage us to renew our relationship or continue our relationship with you through your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.